In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. It's good to be at Christ Church Cathedral this morning. Good for us to be gathered for the worship of Almighty God. Good for us to be in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is risen from the dead. And good for us to have this opportunity to connect as bishop and congregation on the occasion of the bishop's annual visitation. I am extremely grateful to you all for your hospitality uh, today, uh, extended to my wife Caroline and I. We're extremely grateful for that hospitality because, of course, this is the bishop's annual visit, but I think it has been two years since I was actually last physically present on a Sunday at Christ Church, or something like that, at least in my official visitation capacity. Uh, so it is truly wonderful to be the recipient of your hospitality today, and I'm grateful to you for it in these strange times in which we live. Uh, I am also grateful to you all at Christ Church for your leadership as a congregation, as our cathedral church, uh, grateful for that leadership. And uh, I'm in particularly grateful uh, for uh, the, the leadership of your dean and uh, for uh, his leadership not only here at Christ Church, but also more widely in our diocese and indeed in the life of the Episcopal Church as a whole. Very grateful for that. And uh, also grateful for uh, your clergy at Christ Church for uh, their ministries and for their leadership in our diocese as well. Uh, also grateful to your vestry for its leadership in these times in which we live, uh, for which uh, none of us were prepared by either uh, seminary classes or orientation to the vestry. Uh, none of us were prepared for that. Uh, so I'm grateful to them for their leadership and also for their good stewardship as a vestry of the resources that have been given you all here at Christ Church for the mission and ministry of the church. So grateful to them for that gift of stewardship. Uh, and indeed, I'm grateful to everybody who's involved in the ministry of this congregation, uh, professionals, lay professionals, volunteers who help to resource the ministries of this congregation. Uh, it's impossible to do it uh, on our own. And uh, so I'm grateful for that, uh, those ministries and that leadership. But above all, I'm grateful to you all who are present either here or remotely uh, for your prayers and presence, uh, which are making it possible for us to be the church here at this time in this place. You all are doing that. I'm not doing that. You all are. And I'm incredibly grateful for that fundamental primary act of leadership that you all are exercising. Extremely grateful for it. It is truly good for us to be together here at Christ Church today. From our Gospel reading. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, 
and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. The very particular specificity of our reading today is in keeping with the rest of Luke's gospel. What we have at the start of the third chapter is a rundown of political and spiritual leadership, history from the top, if you will. It's a counting of who was in charge of this or that when the great events of the gospel occurred. This is specific to Luke, this kind of rundown that he gives us at a couple different places uh, in the gospel and in other places in uh, chapter 2, the Acts of the Apostles, because St. Luke tells a story firmly rooted in history, an orderly account, as he calls it, an orderly account. He doesn't call it a gospel in his gospel, but it's an orderly account, and he calls it that at the very beginning of the account. Our reading today Locating the ministry of John the Baptist in time and space is prefigured in the gospel's situation of Jesus' birth in the chapter immediately before. As Luke puts it, Jesus' birth during the reign of the emperor Augustus while Quirinius was governor of Syria. We'll hear about that at Christmas. Luke loves to locate the action in time and space. Now, this specific grounding of the great events of salvation at a particular place is significant. St. Luke is telling us that God acts, not just generally and theoretically, but specifically and practically. God acts. Our reading stakes a claim that we can actually point to times and places where God is present and acting, and that we can do so both at the time these things happen but also in retrospect as we look back. God is present and acting in particular times and places and people. For Luke, one of those pointers was found in the person of John, son of Zechariah, who prepared the way for the birth of the Savior. The sounding of the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius in our gospel today disturbs our tendency to make God merely hypothetical. That is a remote possibility. 
To the extent that we make God hypothetical, we also distance ourselves from God and any expectation that God will act. So it's a wonderful distancing mechanism that we can engage in. But to the contrary, our gospel says to us, look, God has acted in the same time we live in now. The location of past events by the gospel writer, this historical angle that he gives us, this location is not an attempt to contain the action of God, to set these actions at some distant point in the past. No, that's not the purpose. The purpose is to invite the one who hears the account to see God acting now. Though Luke's gospel seems to be history from the top, from the perspective of governors and kings, it's actually just the opposite. It's history from below, history from beneath, as it tells a story of humble people who disrupt the ruling order. Though rulers provide familiar markers, that's why Luke gives us the, the rundown at various points in his gospel, any expectation that the really significant events happen in the imperial court any expectation is quickly dashed by the way the story unfolds. History from below, history from beneath. The word of God comes to John, as our reading says. It comes not in a city at the center of affairs, but in a wilderness on the outskirts of the civilized world. In the great scheme of things, John's a nobody. He's no account in this orderly account. He's crucial to this story, of course, to the gospel writer, that's the point, but he's really not crucial to anything else in terms of world history. God's action to save the world doesn't emerge near the capital, but in a remote province among marginalized people. It's not top-down, but from the bottom up. Luke's story is not history from above. And neither is the gospel itself, the message of our salvation. It is not from above, history from above. God's intervention in history is predicated on his use of small things, humble people and places, in order to work his perfect will. 
That's how God acts. St. Paul says in Philippians, in another place, Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's how God works. The form of a slave, born in human likeness, humbling himself, becoming obedient even to death on a cross. That's how God acts. The story of Christ's birth and death is history from beneath. Even as it presumes his descent from heaven and his exaltation to the right hand of God. History from beneath. God at work in the humility of Jesus Christ born and crucified. So what is, what is John's message for us today? What is the word of God addressed to him that he addresses to us? Well, this message is in keeping with the broader theme of God's action in humble people and places. The Baptist calls for repentance and the forgiveness of sins. The message comes to us and calls for us to act. God's humble act in Jesus Christ comes to us and calls us to humility. God is at work in us. Particular people of no particular note. God is at work in what the prophet Zechariah calls the day of small things. The day of small things. God's not looking for the grand gesture for things that are maybe beyond us. But is it work in our repentance, in the unseen, not-so-obvious interior work that, through grace, leads to change? John's message of repentance is metanoia, a turning away, or change in direction. This is the call here and now to turn from sin and to embrace a new life. Advent foregrounds the call which comes to us now. This is the time we are the people. Our journey in faith participants today are 
reminding us of the journey we must all take, which depends upon this crucial turn or change in direction. It is the day of small things, of the small, humble, and unseen action of God. This is the time we are the people. And now, to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, let us ascribe, as is most justly due, all might, power, majesty, and dominion this day and forever.